Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered eater. Today is Thursday, August 31st, 2023, and today we're reading from the big book, and we are in the chapter, A Vision for You, page 151, the first paragraph, for most normal folks, ending with, there was always one more attempt and one more failure. And today's readers are, and thank you for your service, for the 12 steps, Laurel B., 12 traditions, Karen W., and reading the text are Nancy P., Martha Z., and Lulu L. The newcomer greeter is Vanita L., and the host of the second hour is Leah S. The reference numbers for Wednesday, August 30th, 2023, for the 7 a.m. meeting is 20,582. That's 20582. And for the 10 a.m. meeting is 20,583. That's 20583. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Laurel B. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, this is Laurel B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Illinois. Here are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. In direct Five portion, my willingness to let go of the shack. Five admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters, overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. 
Thank you so much, Laurel. And Karen W., if you would press star one to read the 12 traditions. Karen, star one, please. Good morning. This is Karen W. from Texas, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for allowing me to be of service. Thank you, Karen. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We're on in the chapter of Vision for You, page 151, the first paragraph, for most normal folks, through that one paragraph ending with, there was always one more attempt and one more failure. I will ask Nancy P to begin reading. Good morning. Thank you so much um, for letting me share. Nancy P. Recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts. For most folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. 
It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good, but not so with those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. Uh, this is a description for me of um, my experience with step one. And also it sounds, the first sentence especially, sounds like my experience in recovery, in surrender and freedom from obsession. Um, I It was heavy going for me in my life. I was thinking as... as we were, I was looking at this paragraph um, while the steps and traditions were being read, and I was thinking about some of the times that I thought were, you know, awesome, and I look back on them now, and I don't cringe. I don't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it at all. But um, I look with compassion at that girl, young girl, young woman, and, and, you know, early married woman who clunked through life trying to do ballet in a pair of construction boots. You know, I, I couldn't. I, I failed constantly, and every day I'd pick up my sword and shield and I'd go out and fight, and every day I got beaten down and beaten down and beaten down. And it's not capturable. The thing about time is once it's gone, it's gone. And this describes the addiction of trying to recapture that first exhilarating high that I got at certain times in my life when I had done things for the first time. And it's never the same. Sometimes things, you know, get better, but with food, it never got better. It only got worse. And, you know, my last heavy days of, of eating when my daughter was so sick and, and I was sitting in my car eating donuts that day that I called my friend, you know, sobbing in my car, that is so sad seeming to me today, even today. Um, it was my last debauch, but it was just so um, forlorn. <laughs> That's what I felt like, you know, just what Bill says. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Food was my master. And thats it's an ugly feeling to finally come face to face with that. But the good news is that I had no idea at all. In my wildest dreams, I said this to a sponsor the, the other day or somebody to it the other day, Disney would cringe in shame at how bad their their animation is because they could not duplicate my life with all the CGI, all the fabulous animators, all that, you know, magical talent that everybody has. They could not draw my life today and how great it is. So, you know, I don't... Um, I've, I have accepted and embraced, I don't really accept things too well, it reminds me of medicine, but I have embraced who I am. And I am a compulsive overreader of the hopeless variety. I'm never going to get better, but the good news is there's no more attempting, there's no more failure. I walk on this road of happy destiny one step at a time. The only thing that I need to worry about is which direction my feet are going and to make sure they're moving at all. No Texas two-stepping for Nancy P. And um, I no longer... I no longer look at the past with nostalgia. I only look at it with compassion. And anybody who's eating, I swear it on my life, my daughter's life, my children's lives, you're not that far away from where you need to be. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy, for getting us started on 
We're on page 151, the first paragraph. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day in order that others might share their experience. So if you'd like to share, please, number one. Harlan G. Harlan G. Linus W. Who else would like to share? Star one. Angela V. Angela V. V, like Victor. Yes, I got that. Anyone else? We'll just go on to our first share, Harlan G. Thank you very much, Katie, for your service this morning. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. The title of this chapter tells us its purpose, a vision, not a vision, but yeah, a vision for you, sorry. And this was originally chapter 12, the doctor's opinion up until the second edition, 1955 was chapter one, and then they moved it to the Roman numeral section. But the purpose of this chapter is to show us what life is going to be like in recovery. What is my life going to be like now that I have adapted this way of life and I'm, I've bought into your book? And what's, what's my life going to be like? Well, in order for us to show you that, we have to sort of regress here, not regress. We have to review what was life like in the food. And there is a big difference in my life. I think drinkers, at least at first, are very different from eaters. I never remember anybody bursting into a restaurant and saying, Oreo cookies for everybody, I'm buying. No, nobody does that. There, are, there is no, you know, uh, who's buying the next round of chocolate milkshakes, that kind of thing. But when I look at this chapter and it says drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination, I didn't have conviviality and companionship with other people when I was eating. I did have some binge buddies, but by and large, that relationship was between me and the food. And the colorful imagination that I would dream the dreams of a normal person were laid waste. They were they were absolutely destroyed by the very thing that I was doing, and that was eating food that was, was ransacking my life. But when I was eating and the food was working for me, I had release from care, boredom, and worry. I had a joyous intimacy with chocolate, and my friends were Hershey bars and Nestle's Crunch bars and all these other things, and I had a feeling that life is good. But when I got to be a certain age, probably around 15, 14, I started noticing something. The food wasn't working for me quite the way it used to. The food wasn't giving me that rush like it used to, and I had to eat more and more and more of it. And the more of it I ate, the less it worked. And the less it worked, the more I ate, and I was in a death spiral so that by the time I was 17 years old, I was well over 300 pounds. I was 335 pounds as a senior at Mather High School in Chicago. 
my best friend was food. My most joyous intimacy was with food. And one day, somebody put a big book in my hand, and one day I came here and I found a life beyond my comprehension, a life beyond my wildest dreams, a life I wouldn't trade for all the tea in China. This is the easier, softer way. And when I'm in recovery, I can dream dreams, and I have conviviality and companionship and a colorful imagination beyond description. Thanks, Katie, for your service. With that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan. Okay, Linus W., you're up, followed by Angela B. Thanks, Katie, for your service. Um, My name is Linus W. I'm recovered in Georgia. Excited to be listening and on this line with everyone this morning. This paragraph makes me think about escapism. How, when I was in the food, I was dreaming about, oh, you know, if I only lost this amount of weight, if I only was this much taller, if I'd only gotten a different job, if I'd only married a different person. Um, there was no living in reality when I was in the food. It was all the what ifs, and I was miserable, and I couldn't see that that was part of the disease that of not being in the here and now, and that paragraph makes me so thankful that now that I've worked through the steps, I can stay in the here and now for the most part, and uh, that's a continual, uh, continuous um, goal, and it's something I'm working on. But for the most part, I'm in the here and now. Last night, I babysat my grandson and sat on the floor and played Thomas the Train with him and fed him his dinner and wasn't thinking about, oh, I hate doing this. I wish I could be doing something else. Um, you know, and plans don't go my way, I'm able to accept it and deal with whatever's going on and and move on. And that is only from the program uh, do I have that peace, and I'm so very thankful for it. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful day. I have. Thank you, Linus. Okay, uh, Angela V., you're up, and then we'll open it up for more shares. Hi, this is Angela V. from Maine. Um, I'm recovering, um, compulsive overeater. And um, this reading stuck out, uh, stood out to me because, um, yeah, I was, when I was in the food, it was um, torture um, at the end. But in the beginning, it really was kind of like, yeah, well... I could eat this and that and it would be okay. And I didn't, you know, I'd get a little rush from it. Like I'd get a sugar high or whatever. But then, um, you know, the older I got, like when I was, I think I was um, 14, 15, um, when I realized that I had a weight issue. And um, I was 11 when I started eating, like binge eating really bad and I was five the first time I binge eat um ate anything um 
but I really started when I was 11. And when I was 11, I made that decision that I wanted to be fat because I didn't want to be abused. And um, so that took over for a lot of years. But, but when it comes to my recovery today, I don't miss the food I, um, anymore. You know, in the beginning I did, but um, it's today it's not um, for me a missing the food, which is good. Um, it helps me get through the day, but I believe that God took that away from me because I got on my knees and asked him to. And I have to keep doing that each day. And um, when I when I am in the food, it's not a pretty place for me or anybody else. Um, and all I do is look at, you know, uh, like I went to a game yesterday, a practice for my son's game. And um, I would have just sat there eating and eating and eating before, you know, and just watching him, not even watching him, you know, not enjoying what's going on around me. And um, that's what I was doing. I was enjoying the game, the practice, um, watching the kids, um, you know, try their hardest at what they're doing. So um, for me, it helped me realize that if I'm not abstinent, if I'm not, if I'm in the food, then I'm not going to um, be there for my kids, for my family, for anybody else. So thank you. This is Angela from Maine. Thank you so much, Angela. Okay, so um, if you just joined us, we are on page 151 in the chapter, A Vision for You, reading the first paragraph. For most normal folks, reading that whole paragraph and commenting. Who would like to share? Fasa O. Lynn L. L. Catherine F. Lynn Lynn S. Nancy S. Catherine S. Catherine Okay. Okay, I have Vasa O, Lynn S, I believe, uh, Linda D, Catherine S. Was there anyone else I missed? Nancy L. Nancy L. Anyone else? Donna K, Ohio. Rivka R. Donna K, K, Rivka R. Okay, that's a good group. We have Vasa O, Lynn S, Linda D, Catherine S, Nancy L, Donna K, and Rifka R. Go ahead, please, Vasa, followed by Lynn S. Thank you. Please time me because I have the tendency I to will. go over a little bit. So thank, thank you, you, Katie, for your service. I'm grateful, recovered, compulsive Ida calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. My food addiction didn't kick in till I was uh, 15 years old when we came in America. So I've been a very thin child in the whole country because we didn't have all the foods that we discovered in America. So I gained about 20 pounds in one month, and my mom was very happy to see that little fat on my body because she was always concerned, you know, me being thin. So, and when we came in America, I learned Thin was good, 
and fat was not good. So that's when I started dieting from 15 years old till I was 42 years old. Uh, and this was my story that we just read in this paragraph um, till I was uh, till I came to the programs, and I learned about oh that was an addiction. I thought that just everybody liked to eat and you know and and diet, you know. So I had no clue about the allergy. I had no clue about the mental obsession. I had it. I tried to stop the mental obsession over the years, but I could not do it. It's not like I didn't try. So um, I'm just so grateful that I was led into Overeaters Anonymous. And uh, I was given the big book. And I'm my sponsor, I, I, I don't need this. I'm not an alcoholic. She said, cross alcohol and put food on the top. And that's what I've been doing. And, I'm, and I, I, I like saying I'm recovered. In, before I came to this meeting, you know, I kept on hearing people recovered. But I was uncomfortable to say, unrecovered, you know. I was saying, I'm compulsive over you. Well, I don't do those things any longer when it comes to the food. So I feel very comfortable to say, I'm recovered. It is by the grace of God, by working the tools and working the steps the way they lay, lay it out. And I don't have any fears of going back to the food ever again. Because if I keep on doing what I'm doing, all this 37, 38 years, I don't have worries. I just keep on doing what I'm doing. And I try to fill the empty hole with the food and other things. And I don't do that because I have a a healthy relationship with God, my higher power, whatever we want to call it. It's working. Thank you for letting me share. And I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Okay, Lynn S., you're up, followed by Linda D. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Vision. My name is Lynn S., a compulsive reader in Toronto, Canada. And this paragraph um, has always hit me hard because I was, uh, I don't want to say a fat kid. I'm trying to find another word. I, I, but I, I was. I, I don't know what else to call it. I don't know how to say it gently, but I was always heavy, always heavy. And I never had eating means conviviality, companionship. What it meant was shame. My grandparents were ashamed of me. My mother was ashamed of me. Everybody was, there was always the conversations about my weight and this doctor and that doctor. And it it just, it, it was just like that. But where the colorful imagination kicked in was me hiding and the food and it was a party for one it was it was my party and and that was the only place where i got any relief from care boredom and worry the worry of who's going to see me now eating and hiding and and wanting to be like the other kids so much but eating my face off because they wouldn't play with me and they just taunted me and stuff like that and we all know what that's like um there was no joyous joyous intimacy with people at all but in my fantasy world there was joyous intimacy with the food and um i don't know it's it's 
and an insistent yearning, like I wanted so much to be like the other kids, to have a slim body and to wear knee socks that stayed up and to be able to skip double dutch and and all that stuff, or just to be, to be in the world where people didn't point and call out names and, and the insistent yearning was one day I would wake up and God would make me thin like the other kids and the heartbreaking obsession that I always woke up fat. And, you know, one more attempt losing weight, my first 100 pounds at 16, all the way till I was 36. And then there was a way. And then there was a way out. It's it's just a miracle, but that first paragraph's kind of dragging me down a little bit, remembering all this, but knowing where I am now and knowing there is a way out. Um, it's just amazing. So I'm just kind of sitting here in the glow of, of the way out, the glow in their vision for me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Okay, we will have um, Linda D. followed by Catherine S. Good morning, Katie. Hi, everybody. This is Linda D. and I'm thrilled, positively thrilled to be here as a recovered compulsive eater. I can't even believe it myself sometimes. I loved the first year. It was filled with hope, with compassion. And the person was talking about, uh, Nancy, was talking about compassion for the girl that she was and for the young woman that she was. How beautiful that is. That she has grown to that level. And so have I. And so have so many people on this line. It's extraordinary. I have led, um, as was said, I have led an extraordinary life. When I was a very little girl, I have a picture of her right by my bed. I was uh, three years old in a Loring studio, and um, I was a beautiful little girl. And I remember being an adult and looking at that picture. And there was some hair out of place in the back of the head. And that's all I could see. I was an arrogant, self-critical, self-hating person. That's where the disease took me. And where did this uh, program, particularly very healthy meeting of vision for you, but all of OA, all of it. I don't regret any of it. It's some of it's sad. A lot of it's sad. Well, it is. That's life. I am so grateful to have sat under the super blue moon last night and known in my heart that that beautiful moon, which only appears every 37 years, is created by the same creator that creates me and you and everything every day. It was spectacular. It is spectacular to be in recovery and it's hard work. It's every day. I'm learning. What is God going to show me today? 
It's going to be something. Hold on to my hat. I may like it. I may not like it. But I'll learn from it. I have hope. And you can have it too. It's in these rooms. And particularly in a healthy meeting like this one. I am eternally grateful for your help. And I hope I help somebody. I don't know, but I hope I do. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Linda. Okay. Uh, Catherine S., you're up, followed by Nancy L. Good morning, everybody. This is Catherine S. from Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, compulsive overeater in recovery. Um, so many of these shares just brought so many things to my mind. Um, but just reflecting upon my relationship with food before I stopped binging five weeks ago, my entire life um, finishing eating was until I was in so much pain, I couldn't eat anymore. Um, and I based my relationships upon eating with friends, binging with friends who would binge, um, and then friends who didn't binge, and I would just eat so much that I wouldn't be able to carry on a conversation during the meal or after because the food made me feel so sick because of the allergy. Um, and something else that struck my heart was when I listened to somebody say, you know, they they kept the weight on because they didn't want to be abused. And I had a therapist who brought that up to me once, that like subconsciously if you were abused, like I was sexually abused as a child, um, you keep weight on so you can prevent from other people attacking you and hurting you. Um, and I guess like... I just am realizing, you know, like the relationship between the food and my trauma and the food with my mental illness. I have a dual diagnosis um, and how I use the food to manage both of those things. So removing the food caused me to spiral into a concave of emotion um, and that caused me to see my psychiatrist twice to get my medications adjusted because the chemicals from the food weren't managing my physical, biological illness in my brain. Um, and, yeah, like, at the end, every time, like, because, like, I've, you know, dieted a couple of times, but every time before this one, um, I would always have a fantasy of, yes, when I'm finally really thin, I'll be able to eat all that food as much as I want to. Um and I would get to that point, and then I would gain back double of the weight that I lost. Um, but this time, it was the result of health issues that I realized. Well, that I wasn't realized. I was told about them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to kill myself. I have an eating disorder. I can't stop. I can't eat these foods. I can't stop when I want to eat them. Um, and I made the decision, you know, like the Lord was like, once you make a decision, you stick to it. And it's true. And I was like, never again. And I need help. I need help to never again. Um, and just realizing what I was using the food for to maintain my stability, although like my perceived stability, because I wasn't stable, I was numb and I was using people and hurting people not intentionally, but I was looking for perfect love from them and putting pressure on them um, in order to love me perfectly as I was searching for my father's love 
and I was especially searching for God's Time, love. Please. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Catherine. Okay, Nancy L., you're up. And let me just remind everyone that we're on page 151, the first paragraph for most normal folks, drinking means conviviality. So we'll have Nancy L. and Donna K., and then we'll open it up for more sharers. Oh, no, we won't. I'm sorry, Rifka R., too. (laughs) Sorry about that. Go ahead, Nancy. Okay. Thanks, Katie. Good morning, everyone. This is Nancy L. in Arizona. The old pleasures were gone. Boy, that just hits me right between the eyes. I had an awful lot of really, really good friends growing up, and I bought them from the store and ate them, and they were they were very close to me, and I was close to them uh, from five years old all through high school, 20s, 30s, 40s, overweight, overweight, overweight. Um, but the the pleasure, you know, it was it was pleasurable, especially on the holidays, to just get going with the food and you know, there was something that um, I wanted desperately, and that was to have a family. And for 11 years after our marriage, uh, no children, no children. No reason why we couldn't have children. We just could not have children. So um, finally, we had a, we adopted a baby boy and a baby girl, and my life was so complete now. There now. My life is complete until it wasn't. And that was my first love, was still my first love, and that was the food. More than my husband, more than my babies, the food, the food, the food. And to make a long story short, I lost my kids. When my uh, daughter graduated high school at 16 and a half, she begged us, begged us, or excuse me, 17 and a half, to sign so she could join the Air Force. So up and gone at 17 and a half, when my son graduated school, high school at 18, up and gone, joined the Marines, and there I sat with a broken heart, a broken marriage, and nowhere to turn. And I found my place. I I found a way. I had known God for all my life, but yet he was on the back burner with everybody else because food was number one. So I'm very grateful today to say that God is number one, and then my family, and I do have connections with my kids. However, they never, ever live near us again um, because, you know, when you're in the military, you're moving all over the place. So that means I didn't really have much connection with grandchildren either, which was sad. So, yeah, the ramifications of that uh, addiction were very harsh, <laughs> very harsh. I'm grateful for my health today. I'm so, so grateful for a good marriage of 52 years. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Um, Nancy L. And Donna Kay, you're up, followed by Rifka R. And then we will open it up for a few more shares. Good morning. Um, Thanks, Katie, for your service. Uh, Donna Kay recovered uh, in Ohio. Um, Oh, what a wonderful share regarding the reading. Um, I... uh, I didn't realize initially from such a long time ago of what the food did for me. Um, um, the food has been down for three and a half years since I've started attending a vision for you, but I was in face-to-face meetings locally, gosh, since, I don't know, 87, 88, something like that. Um, I'm just, I'm very grateful. Um, 
I was always very excited when I'd get a new diet. Oh my gosh, I was always finding a diet. Uh, Twiggy was the was the popular model at the time, um, and the the thinner you were, the better the better you were off, you know. And um, I was never built that way to begin with. And after I got married and started a family, um, I just I packed it on. I packed it on. I was off to the races uh, with the eating and. Um, I'm so grateful for today. Uh, it took me, it's hard for me not to be upset with myself with my defects when I'm, you know, cleaning up and, and working on the defects that, you know, why did it take me so long? Why why didn't I get this faster and, you know, right off the bat, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I was missing the spiritual piece of the program. Um, I don't think there was any higher power anywhere. You know, I was still relying on myself. You're right, that I had to find find the right way to eat, find the right support group, you know. Um, it's not about any of that for me today. I'm so grateful for that. And this is a very hopeful reading, and um, I take it one day at a time, and um, and I give it away. And sponsoring, sponsoring is a joy. So anyway, thank you so much for letting me share this morning. Uh, have a good day. Bye. Thank you so much, Donna Kay. Rifka R., you're up, and then we'll open it up for more shares on page 151, the first paragraph. Hi, good morning, everybody. Um, Rifka R., gratefully recovered compulsive overeater in Baltimore. And, wow, thank you so much for all the shares. They're just, everyone is so deep and so right on for me. Um, So, yeah, I was just moved to share um, even though I wasn't going to this morning because uh, we were away and then I got sick. and um, but I was like, oh, my gosh, when I heard this paragraph and heard the shares, I'm like, oh, this is so meaningful. Um, yeah, I, eating never meant conviviality for me. Like I, I only wanted to hide and eat by myself. Uh, I wouldn't enjoy others when I was eating because I was only focused on the food. Like even if I was looking at you, I was and talking to you, I was still thinking about like what could I eat next and how could I eat it so you wouldn't notice and if I could really only relax if I was like totally by myself and I mean I remember when I was very from very little very little, like heaven was a bag of something and a good book and no one else in the house. Like just being able to eat and eat and eat, and because um, then I was, I had you know, my in my colorful imagination while I was engaged in that activity. Like I was okay, life was okay. I was, I felt like I was living. I was wanted. I was loved. I, um, you know, life was enjoyable for those few seconds, um, and I did have total release from any care, boredom, or worry at that point. Um, but I never ever realized the the total crazy fantasy that I was caught in, you know, and the uh, and the obsession <clears throat> to, um, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna eat today and then tomorrow I'll, you know, tomorrow I'll get myself together so that I'll finally feel okay about myself and life and, I mean, real life was full of just worry and boredom and anxiety and I, I did not enjoy real life. I didn't enjoy real life. Um, 
the only way that I had to enjoy life was was in the food. And it, it recovery today, being able to release that all that that extra food, being able to eat, it's like life became like a normal putting on normal glasses and being able to see the truth like you know I can eat today to have strength to serve God and to be to be present um for what God wants me to do to work on this relationship with my creator um who takes me out of you know the the crazy fantasy and 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 really releases me from you know what's worrying me and or you know any boredom, I mean, there's no boredom anymore. <laughs> there's always something to do, always something to connect with, always, you know, just, it's just a, a new please. life. Okay, I'll just, I'll just end with this, that to be able to live in today in joy and gratitude and delight and love and connection and trust is just a whole new way to live, and I'm so grateful for it. So everybody uh, have a wonderful day, and I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much. Okay, we have time for... Uh, three or four shares. We have 10 minutes left. So who would like to share on page um, um, 151, the first paragraph? Darian Pay. Darian Carolyn S.H. Carolyn S.H. Lee H. Okay, sorry, Maura. Um, I think I think we have enough here. We have Darian K, Carolyn S H, Lee H, and Cheryl L. And if there's a miracle and we can get you in there, we will. Okay, go ahead, please, Darian K, followed by Carolyn S H. Yes. Good morning, Katie. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Okay. Great. Yes, this is Darian K in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. I'm um, recovered for today and grateful to be on the line with all of you this early morning and just um yeah the shares have been amazing just thinking back you know it just makes me think right because it's important to remember when and um you know the feeling of conviviality i looked up conviviality and um you know it's warmth and cheerfulness and belonging and that is the only time I felt that was when I was eating with my family <laughs> because my family ate like me. So we all ate the same way. And so when I ate mostly with my mom and my sister, um, you know, it was fun because, you know, we, we were all compulsive overeaters. So um, there was nothing different about us. Um, and, you know, we can enjoy whatever we were eating um, because we, you know, were enjoying it in the same you know, in the same light, um, you know, and that didn't happen when I was, you know, with my friends or, um, you know, at certain uh, functions and such. Um, and then I remember finding my, you know, when I started dating my first husband and, and my my um, mother-in-law-to-be, you know, was a great cook. My mom was not. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> And so that was like a joy <clears throat> to be able to, you know, have these big Sunday Italian dinners um, and be uh, just festive and people just ate, you know, but still probably not the same way that I did, though. Um, you know, I way look forward to it um, and uh, definitely put more, probably more importance on it than, uh, than the other people. Um, but eventually, you know, as time went on, um, that just, 
those times became less and less. And it was more the struggle of, you know, do I eat this? Do I not eat this? Well, you know, um, I really want it. I want more. I shouldn't have more. And then that just that mental gymnastics of not <clears throat> not um, eating it with um, without impunity, and um, and it was just you know it just became a struggle. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, you know just <clears throat> losing my voice, just you know knowing that I that I couldn't do that anymore, that it just didn't feel right, you know, it just felt wrong, and I just was unhappy and unhappy with myself. Um, but I couldn't stop. Not before this program, I couldn't stop. I so wanted to, and I tried a few different ways, not every way, but a few different ways, and um, and I couldn't. It just felt like deprivation, and I didn't like that feeling. It was way too uncomfortable for me. Um, and when I found this program, it was a miracle because it felt like a way of life, it felt like a, something that I could live with a day at a time for the rest of my life. You know, and God willing, it'll be 37 years in September. Thank you. And, I, and I'm and i living this a day at a time, joyfully. Had lunch with a beautiful fellow yesterday, and we sat down, and there was conviviality watching each other eat our veggies. <laughs> uh, just, you know, feeling like Fine. we were in the same Fine. boat. Thank, thank you. The same boat um, and in the same space. So thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Darian. Carolyn S.H. You're right, followed by Lee H. Hi, thank you. Good morning, Vision. Carolyn S.H., newly re-recovered in Massachusetts. I'm setting my timer. Um, uh, for most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. That brings to mind like just images of watching my friends and family, um, those members who do not have this disease, um, enjoying being at restaurants, enjoying um, holiday meals, uh, being able to take part in conversation and laugh and make jokes. And even at weddings, like um, there are some, I'm from a huge Italian family, and um, there were some weddings where we would, um, I have vivid um, memories of just re a lot of fun. Um, and uh, there's one or two where I, I felt the fun, but, but most often not. Um, and I, um, later in the, in the paragraph, it says, um, never could we recapture the great moments of the past. Um, I, um, there are some times where I did feel that and I could do that and there are times when I did not. But what happened was as my disease progressed, my eating became um, uh, eating in my college dorm room, um, uh, this like huge mixing bowl full of ice cream. Um, and that would be my dinner, um, that kind of thing. But I'm alone in my room, right? Um, and that is not conviviality and companionship. Um, and in recovery, um, when I had a year, um, a little while back, um, I was on vacation in Cancun and I was um, out to dinner with this wonderful group of friends and they were all, you know, eating um, with impunity. 
um, and, and desserts, et cetera. Um, and I was so, I was in a recovered state. I was so happy and I was drinking, I think I was drinking like ice water with mint or something and I couldn't be happier because um, I was with them. We were having a wonderful time. Um, and it, it, for me, the, what this paragraph is, is pointing out is other people's experience. And I can only have that experience if I'm not in the food. Um, they can have it in the food. I can only have it if I'm not. Um, and if I'm working this program, if I'm living in the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Carolyn S.H. And now we'll have Lee H. And you'll be our last share, Lee. Sorry, Cheryl and Maura. Okay, good morning. Thank you so much. This is Lee H., a recovering compulsive overeater in Tennessee. And just so glad to be here and so glad to hear um, my friends on the line this morning. And uh, what I want to say is that it did take me back also to the last days of heavy eating. And where I was was I had a broken life. I was waking up with regretting the pre previous day of the things I had been eating. I was by myself. I was doing a separation with my husband. My children were grown. My clothes weren't fitting, so that meant I had to go out and shop for bigger clothes to be pleasing to look at. But by who? There was nobody, nobody around. It was just devastating loneliness. And what happened for me is that uh, a good friend connected me with Vision for You and with the big book, and I started working the steps. And I, today I'm so thankful because I can look up and see that, you know, the um, it. I don't have that boredom and that worry today and all that care about looking good and all the outside things because my higher power has given me this joyous intimacy with him and with other friends in this program. And today I'm I'm sponsoring people, which, you know, that was kind of an adjustment because I wasn't used to, you know, thinking about other people. I was always thinking about myself. And now I'm, I'm working with other people, making wonderful friends, and exact, it's, it, it, in a way it's kind of sad to have to say goodbye to some of these people that I've sponsored. Not that we're, uh, we're staying connected, but they've finished the steps and they're moving on, sponsoring other people. And um, I'm just so grateful for all of you. I feel like this is my fellowship. And I look forward to hearing all the shares and having met some of you in person. Um, it's just a real blessing to be here. So I'll pass with that. Thank you so much. Okay, so thank you to everyone who shared. Um, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study. Sorry. <laughs> unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Thursday, August 31st, 7 a.m. meeting is 20589. That's 20,589. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Martha Z. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Katie. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God. Um, from outside of Philadelphia. Good morning, my friends. 
Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.